Welcome to another episode of the Innovation Room. Um, this time around, we have uh, another first for our show. We have a repeat guest with us. Uh, we heard some uh, positive feedback for John the last time around, so we thought it would be cool to have him back for another chat. Um, so as you may remember, John Carter is the founder of TC Gen, and he's advised uh, a number of world-class companies like Apple and Amazon with their product development and innovation processes. So um, welcome back to the show, John. It's great to have you with us. I'm delighted. Thanks for having me again. This time around, we thought that the topic for today's talk would be a bit more specific than the last time around. Um, and today, uh, it would be about innovation beyond the core. Um, so most companies obviously focus most of their resources, um, including those for innovation, to the current core products and operations. And, um, and, and your point is that it's probably not the best way if you're looking for growth specifically. Um, so can you share the background of how you first got interested uh, in the topic? Yeah, so as you know, uh, Jesse, I was involved in um, some early innovation activities in consumer electronics early in my career at Bose. And I was really struck with how innovation can transform a company uh, because we did it in, in that area and, and others as well. And what to, in my consulting experience working with companies like Apple and Amazon um, and looking at how they go to market and their product set and everything, I begin to connect some dots between how successful companies are innovating outside the core. And I'll give you a, two examples of, of that. Um, it, it, the forecast is for Apple by, 19, by 2025 to have 50 billion in profits just from services. So uh, separate from iPhones and separate from laptops or iPads or anything, 50 billion of profit. That's not revenue, it's profit. Um, and those are services. The second thing is that uh, if you look at Amazon, you know, you think of that as a, 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 the everything store, but they're much more. And, and I'm sure you're aware of Amazon Web Services, AWS. Well, AWS right now is contributing on the order of $10 billion a quarter and it's 70% of their profits today. So a much smaller business, Amazon Web Services, unrelated to the everything store, although obviously it's common infrastructure, generates more revenue than the main business of Amazon and more profit rather than the main business of mm -hmm. Amazon itself. And so I was wondering, well, what do these companies do that are different and I started to really investigate that and, and did some research in that to find out, you know, what they did and, and how they're so successful. And sure, they do innovate in their core products uh, areas, but also they innovate outside the core. I think it's at, at this point, it's, it's good for, to clarify what, what we mean with the core. So uh, can you kind of like uh, elaborate a bit on what you mean with the core um, and then uh, what... Uh, what are some examples of, of going beyond that, um, like in, in the context of what we we're just talking about? Sure, I think that's a great question and a, a reasonable uh, clarification. You know, it all starts with Theodore Levitt and his book called The Marketing Imagination. And what he described very clearly is that a product really is 
is a little bit more vague than one might think. So you typically think, well, the product is, let's say, an iPad or a laptop or a car. But actually what the consumer buys is what's called the expected product. So that means an iPad with software that runs to make it useful and service and support in case it breaks and the brand of Apple uh, reinforcing the good innovation in the product and its ease of use. So there's the core product, which is basically a computer without a keyboard using touchscreen. We all know what what that is. Mm -hmm. You might consider iOS 14 or the current Rev uh, to be also included in the core product. You've got hardware and software. And so that is the core product. But the extended product is what the co- consumer actually buys. It's the brand service support and applications and utility. Beyond that, Levitt said there's something called the augmented product. And the augmented, and you can visualize these as three circles. The inner circle, the tightest circle is the core. The next layer is the expected. And then the third layer is the augmented part of the uh, product. And that can be all sorts of either tangible or intangible um, areas that the product excels in, often delights customers because Mm -hmm. it's not part of the expected product. Uh, This could be additional services. It could be add-ons in terms of upgrades. You know, I think Tesla is a great example. You buy a Tesla car and basically you're buying an operating system and they, you know, they updated overnight and suddenly you've got a totally new car the next day. Um, And who expected that? Who expected a car to be updated overnight and improved without even taking it to the shop? That's an example of the augmented product. So the core is basically the the basic widget that people have and often contains the defensible innovation. You know, it it might be tight software hardware integration with Apple or the revolutionary battery technology and production techniques of of Tesla. Those are the core things. And so that the tendency is that um, companies have a usual innovation approach. They're, and they're a sucker, if you will, or, or uh, improperly drawn to innovating around the core because they think, well, that's their defensible value proposition. That's what they should you know, extend and magnify. And, and that's not bad. I'm not saying that one uh, needs to continue to evolve uh, their, their innovation in their core area. But the, the usual innovation approach is just focused on that. And so what, uh, what we're suggesting is that the organizations also innovate around a strategy, just not the core, but looking at how you can achieve uh, greater uh, marketplace success with an augmented product. And, and as Amazon and Apple show so clearly, there's a lot of margin in the augmented product. Maybe more pro in Amazon's case, it's more margin that's in their core business. So these augmented uh, profit areas can be very, very profitable. And if you don't allocate some investment resources to the augmented product and just focus on the core, you're missing all sorts of marketplace uh, opportunities and expansion capabilities. So, um, like. 
basically if we look at this uh, the whole experience consisting of the augmented the extended and then the core product uh, you mentioned some of these benefits already but is there uh, like how, how do you think about like those those benefits in of investing in that those areas well i think that the primary well, there's several the primary one is i think uh, customers want a job to be done they don't necessarily want to buy a widget they want a job to be done mm-hmm. so innovating in the augmented uh, product solves a bigger problem for the customer so it's more sticky mm-hmm. i mentioned the the margin the third is competitive dominance in other words if you're able to think about the uh, extended or rather augmented product more globally then in fact you can increase your market share and dominance because you solve a bigger problem and so i think there there are lots of of benefits but the one that actually people don't expect is innovation can be easier innovation can be easier in the augmented product and that is because usually innovation in the core involves infrastructure investment maybe bricks and mortar maybe an r&d lab and facility and a lot of fixed costs but if you look at uh, the augmented product in many cases you can get that through machine learning and ai it solutions service and support solutions all sorts of things that require much much more modest investments so in fact if you innovate outside the core another advantage is that you actually can invest less and get more margin as a result so i think it's a very powerful technique for those who are you know don't have an infinite budget and would really like <laughs> to get some innovation out of their portfolios to focus on these areas Oh, and and related to that is the time uh, to realize the innovation can be shorter as well. Innovation in the core usually requires massive investments and massive time. Innovation in the augmented product, if you're clever, can be done at less money and for less time. So that means you can inter- iterate and evolve much more quickly. Love that, and and I guess uh, like a part of that is that. Um, you already have that core in place, um, so a big part of the value proposition is already there. So you're kind of like adding uh, a bit of like new angles to that, uh, which is kind of like where all that comes from. Exactly, exactly. And Jesse, the core has the defensible part, so you've kind of checked that box, you know. And so mm-hmm. then you're just you're reinforcing that in yeah. in multiple ways. Yeah, love that. Um, Can you share um, some other examples or stories of of how companies have used uh, this method successfully? So um, you mentioned Apple and Amazon, but do you have uh, other ones that are maybe slightly more relatable for some of our uh, listeners in the audience? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, a couple a couple are. Uh, one's an, uh, uh, an example that's I think the probably the first and biggest and the other one is a much more contemporary example in in a related but new area the first one is and this is a really fascinating story um a while back there were three three companies three organizations that were competing for overnight delivery and and that was the US postal service here in the states uh then we had a uh, FedEx and then we had UPS United Parcel Service uh and these companies were all battling it out 
to try and win the overnight delivery market, what was just opening up. And uh, what is really interesting is there's really only one winner in this, and that's FedEx. Uh, and the reason FedEx won was not obvious. So you think about FedEx's core product, it's, let's say, rapid delivery. So what do you think about? Well, you think about trucks and you think about planes. So you think about capital investment. Maybe you think about operations research, tries you know, um, maximize the, the utilization of those fixed assets. Mm-hmm. But really what catapulted uh, FedEx into the f- front position had nothing to do with capital equipment. It had nothing to do with their core product. In fact, in a way, it had nothing to do with overnight delivery. And it was tracking. So FedEx basically invested in IT so that if a product was late, note, Jesse, it shouldn't be late. If they're good at overnight delivery, it wouldn't be late. So this, in a way, solves a problem that shouldn't exist with FedEx. In other words, if they were really best at overnight delivery, they'd deliver overnight. You wouldn't need to track things because mm-hmm. they'd be reliable. Well, they weren't totally reliable, but it gave it gave customers and users of the system great comfort to know that if a package was late, it wasn't lost or stolen, or you know, on a truck that burned down or whatever calamity could have happened. But it could tell you, you know, has it left Memphis or distribution center? Is it arrived here near in our area? Is it in a local warehouse? When will it come? And all these things had nothing to do with their core product, which involved fleets of planes and fleets of trucks and warehouses. Nothing to do with that. It was simply IT. And once FedEx um, put that in place, they dominated the space. And I worked with UPS. You know, they were were definitely trying to to play catch up. This is another area where the first to market really wins. And um, I think you see that in, in your uh, customers with FEMA as well, is that the innovator often gets the greatest market share. And that certainly came with uh, FedEx. That's a, that's a, so that's uh, what I think is the very best example. It's historical. Mm-hmm. Um, but a much more recent and interesting example is with Live Nation. So Live Nation is a concert uh, promoter. They sell tickets, basically. They're a ticket seller. Um, and they came up with this concept of a 360 deal. And a 360 deal means you find an, an artist like, say, Madonna or someone who's a true star. And what you do is you sign up for all the rights you possibly can. So these are multi-right kind of solutions, multi-right deals as they're called, and includes merchandise sold at concerts, banned websites, brick and mortar retail outlets, and revenues from touring, sponsorship, even fan sites. All the ancillary revenues that an artist generates, they now capture. And the 360 deal with Madonna was 120 million over 10 years. I mean, these are these are real, real big numbers. And what would you expect from a, someone 
that sells tickets. They sell concert tickets, but they had the creativity to expand this. Actually, so they were in the service business. They expanded it by augmenting products and physical, tangible products. So it's not always that you augment a product by intangible things. In the case of the 360 um, deal, which I really think is creative, they, they created a totally new way of capturing more revenue from an artist. So th those are kind of two si exciting examples besides mm -hmm. Apple and Amazon that I, I think about, but you, you see them just everywhere. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, you just have to kind of like, uh, be in the mindset of actually looking for those and then you'll start to connect the dots and see them all around. Yeah. And you know, what you're finding is innovation is occurring in all in, uh, uh, unexpected areas. You know, for example, in, in the insurance industry, um, people are, are beginning to get smart about how the, how much customer data they have and how they can use the, these data lakes and use MI and, uh, and AI techniques to extract meaning from them. I know one insurer, for example, that looks at their susceptible population uh, in order to figure out where to uh, put in COVID vaccines or, or treatments so that they actually use the intelligence of the data to be proactive about a service offering. Now, this is an insurance company, but they're getting into other areas through use of AI and ML. And that's true. I think you're seeing more and more companies basically using data as a way to augment the product or services true in financial services, insurance, banking, all sorts of uh, industries where they have tons of data. They can now yeah. augment their offering. Yeah. Um well, I'm sure that there are uh, like cases where uh, companies have also had difficulties with uh, like trying to do um, or, or go beyond the core in their innovation efforts. So um, have you seen some companies uh, try this approach but fail? Uh I'm glad you asked this question, uh, Jesse, because this actually stumps me because I haven't. I haven't. And I, th I think there are several reasons reasons for this. The first is, remember when we started talking about this, uh, I mentioned that, in fact, innovating outside the core can actually cost less mm. and be get to market much faster. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, look at Live Nation. They can't create a Madonna every year, but what they can <laughs> do is they can change the deal to make it more encompassing, adding additional products and services to, to our core musical offerings. Well, the fact of the matter is these augmented innovations can be e easier to innovate than the core, and therefore it's proprietary. And mm -hmm. so I think companies tend to not talk about it because this gets more into the trade secret area. It's kind of like a combination of the core technology plus an added data service or, or additional capabilities the customer didn't desire. So the first is that I think there are more trade secrets here. Yeah. Second is because the investment is lower, the cost of failure is lower. And therefore, there could be a, a number of failures out there, but they're not really big failures. They're not big failures because the company didn't invest a lot in capital equipment that they had to write off and report to their uh, shareholders. Uh, it, it, 
and also in the marketplace in general, these kind of innovations are guided by customer empathy as well as strategy. Mm-hmm. And so they're not trying to do something radical with their customer base. So usually they don't upset customers. So they don't upset shareholders. They don't upset customers. Uh, and and it's it's a trade secret. So you you could you know kind of put all these things together. And I think these are um, these are pretty obvious reasons. Now, the, the one I didn't mention, which I'm sure is in the back of you and your listeners' mind, is th- it could be hard. You know, it could mm-hmm. be very, very difficult. And so there are um, very few companies that succeed. But the fact of the matter is that given its low investment, given it's driven by cup- customer empathy, given that it's dictated or, or enabled by the corporate strategy, you have a lot of tailwinds at, at your back. Mm-hmm. And therefore, uh, I don't think it's it's so hard. Now, it's it's often, and I wrote about this in, in the Forbes article, that people look in the wrong places. They look for innovation in the right, wrong places. But I think if, if you look um, in the right places and go about it right, um, you can be successful too. Great. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've now convinced quite a few of our listeners to put more emphasis on, on going beyond the core and, and looking at, in those right places. Um, so I guess the next question naturally is uh, how can they succeed in it? Yeah, again, really a good question if you want to take this and be practical about it. Well, I've thought about it, um, and I think specifically I've got some things that might be appealing. The first is um, to draw some sort of strategic or innovation map, and here the Vima board or other solutions can be excellent foundations for you to visualize your innovations and strategies. You take that, and then you ask the basic question, now, where do you want to invest in your portfolio? You know, where where are you seeing market growth that would enable you to grow without displacing competition or where your value proposition is very strong? So you, you look at your strategic map, your innovation map. You look at where do you want to invest as guided by your portfolio, and then you you should go about picking about, uh, an opportunity. I don't mean picking a solution, but picking mm-hmm. an area for discovery and focusing your efforts there. And I think there are five ways to innovate outside the core. And these, these five steps may help you once you've picked an opportunity in the innovation space to go after. The first is, is look first at information technology. It can provide a platform to help you better understand and serve customers. So I'd start there. The mm-hmm. second is a little bit more advanced, but it's it's related to the first, and that is data can be turned into insights using artificial intelligence and machine learning. These insights can lead to new ways to serve and support uh, customers. In the case of the insurance markets, open things up to new products and services entirely by using uh, data intelligence. Uh, the third is services can be a big part of the augmented product over the consumption life cycle. And the margins for services are often much higher than uh, than for core products. You know, a great example is the iPhone ecosystem, you know, where they charge their uh, software app providers 30% of their revenue. Well, their costs are very low to provide that kind of 
kind of service. Mm-hmm. So think about the margins for services as part of and where used over the consumption cycle. I think people tend to think uh, about innovation making the attractive the offering attractive to initially buy. But you should look at the uh, consumption life cycle later on after purchases are made. Mm -hmm. The fourth is content is the new currency and can be bundled with the core offering. Content can come from influencers and from customers. Companies can license it and repurpose it. So there are plenty of ways in which um, you can see content as being used. And I think the current dispute that Facebook is having in Australia is a great example of the power of content uh, because um, the news providers want to charge Facebook for using their stories. Facebook doesn't want to pay, but they've reached an agreement because Facebook realizes content is king and they need to provide it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then finally, the fifth area, complete solution can be a win for the consumer and the organization because more value is delivered and your company can participate in a greater wallet share. So think about the value you can provide to your customer and expand its its scope and meaning with the customer. So I think, you know, to reiterate, starts with the innovation map and then you need to pick your bets. And then there are five techniques I mentioned for innovating outside the core. And I think those are good ways to get started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, again, to kind of like recap, so start from the, the kind of like the problem or the opportunity instead of like going after the solutions. Exactly. And, and that's a, a, a companies all the time uh, get into that trap and they really don't understand what the customer wants. They just want to push more product down their throats and not realizing <laughs> what their needs are. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, um, we're getting uh, near the end of our uh, episode for today. Um, but before we wrap up, um, are there some other easy kind of like practical things our listeners could do to get started with this? Um, if their organization isn't necessarily like on board and hasn't really allocated resources for, for these uh, uh, additional innovations? Sure. Um, I'd start small and prove it out. For companies as small as 10 people, it's still realistic to have some kind of innovation effort on uh, augmenting your core product. So I'd start small and I'd prove it out. Remember, these are low investments typically. So I would manage them that way. So it's kind of easy to try. And we talked about the benefits of quick feedback because you can bring it to market more quickly. So try it. Try it with a small experiment. The second thing I might suggest is way of thinking about this kind of investment after you've got your innovation map and you kind of know where you'd like to place your bets. I recommend companies use the 10% rule or the 1% rule, which either one applies to them. In the first case, what I recommend is that 10% of their product development be put on innovation, 10% of their product development. For companies that don't think about product development as as a a unit or an organization, then put 1% of revenue into innovation. So 10% of product development, and an easy way to to remember this is product development is often 10% of sales, 10% of 10% is 1%. So use the uh, 1% rule as a guideline. 
And the third is the, the steps and processes that I outlined above scale with company size. They're not just for big companies. So uh, just you know, go through the five steps and, and the um, starting point with the innovation map. You can do it quickly and pick out the steps that work for you. And I think that's a good way to, to get started. Awesome. Thanks, John. Um, anything else you'd like to say uh, before we wrap up? Yeah, I think, you know, one thing that really sums it up for me is remember the customer doesn't buy a core product. They want a job to be done. For example, a homemaker does not want to buy a better mop. They want cleaner floors. So think about the job to be done rather than a product or a solution. Perfect. That's a great place to wrap up on. Thanks, John. Okay. Thanks for having me, Jesse.